This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sports important. One of the questions I get asked most about life here at Second Captains <laughs> is some variation of What's your man Ken like? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the one I get as well. <laughs> What's he really like? It used to be, did Ken ever play for Marseille? But yeah. that particular yeah, one I, think, is I think everyone's finally copped wise to that died one. Died to death, yeah. My answer, Murph, about what, what our, our dear friend is like to work with is, well, great. Except when you're trying to introduce a podcast episode and he keeps interjecting with unsolicited grammatical advice trying to fuck up your flow, man. That's what I say. Welcome to your World <laughs> Service promo. He was really... Well, I was just very eager not to interrupt you there. Yeah, no, 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 you're on edge now. He was yep. just letting nothing go this week, right from the opening moments of my intro on Wednesday. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the All-Ireland Football Final that everybody wanted to see. Asterix. A Kerry team inspired by arguably the greatest player of all time going in search of back-to-back titles. A Dublin team looking to reclaim top dog status after two years in the wilderness featuring featuring three players hoping to become the first men's Gaelic footballers in history to win nine All-Ireland titles. It's so big that we're creating our own bit of history on the Second Captains podcast by bringing Paul Flynn, Michael Murphy and O'Shane McConnell together for the very first time. Wow, what a moment. What a moment. Wow. So why the asterisk? It couldn't be done. Why the asterisk in my opening sentence? Asterisk. Oh, an asterisk is the little um, goal. The Fuck off, Ken. Goal. Why the asterisk in my opening <laughs> sentence? Well, not everybody is falling over themselves about this fixture. Welcome to the podcast. Don't ruin my intro, Ken, with your pedantry. Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm not taking your shit today, Ken. I'm too excited about this guy. Wow. Football to get talked down you got talked in Ken's corner there, at the start Ken. of the evening. Just trying to help him. I'm just trying to help you. You've just been petted, mate. Yeah. How do you think the, the dubs and Kerry got to this level? Do you think it was by tolerating that kind of sloppiness? The small details. So, yeah, give it to me true. again. What am I get? What am I getting wrong? Actually, I'm interested now. I want to get this right. Asterisk on, is the little, the little star that denotes that you know the the yeah, team was. That's doping what's in front of me on my screen. Whatever. 
Yeah, nobody's um, doping. Aster- Neither Carrie nor Dublin is doping. We should say. Asterix mm-hmm. is yeah. the little um, mustachioed, uh, uh, the small oh, come on. eagle. Honestly, not one person would have noticed that. Not one person. Now, that, now I, that's I, all I we're talking about. To be honest, now, I, maybe it's something. Maybe there's maybe there's something wrong with me, but I always notice that kind of thing. No, he wasn't letting you off the hook either, Murph. This was, no. this was moments later in the same <laughs> podcast. I'm sure episode. he felt he felt all her bound. Yeah. Though. Derry do take it to extremes. They hold on to the ball for a lot longer than, than most other teams. They take less risks in possession. It's not amazing to watch. Fewer I mean, risks, I would say. Fewer, fewer You've just been petted, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Derry, Derry people, them, Derry people uh, themselves nice will, would tell you this. It's a challenging working environment. That's what we're saying here. Well, yeah, but I mean, how are we going to improve on if we're not challenged by our peers? Underlings? Pierce, <laughs> uh, you you've know, just been petted, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it. This is a high performance uh, environment. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I know that I called Ken a high performance ninja. Multiple people have been on to me to say that it's actually a process ninja. Pro- not, it's, so it's not even performance ninja, as I corrected you there. It's yeah. process ninja. No, it's ninja. A process ninja. Okay. So, uh, I'd like to apologise to Ken, uh, to you, or no, to yeah, our listeners, listeners, and indeed to all. Yeah. Uh, ninjas, processor or otherwise, currently listening. <laughs> As you heard there, we did put together a three-person punditry, superstar punditry team for the All-Ireland Final. Ushie McConville, Paul Flynn and Michael Murphy. The producers of the BBC's GA coverage are busy. They've got an entire team working on the subtitles that will allow BBC Two viewers in England, Scotland and Wales to understand Ushin as he muses on Gary versus Dublin. The very best to look with that. No such requirement for you lot. And anyway, subtitles are difficult to insert into a podcast. Please enjoy some of what the lads had to say about the big game. The thing I would say about about Kerry is that at some stage when you're all Ireland champions, you need a wake-up call, and their wake-up call was against Mayo. And, you know, if you want to go into the technicalities of it, they learned a huge amount that day. And I know Paul was saying about, you know, the fact that there's going to be contests, but there's probably going to be less contests than we maybe think because that's what done... Uh, that's why Mayo ended up beating Kerry. If you look at uh, the kickouts that really hurt um, Kerry when they played Mayo was the two big bombs over the top, okay? And like Kerry haven't been as susceptible to those since because they haven't chased every kickout. Uh, yeah, they've pushed on 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 free kicks, and yes, people will look to the end of the game and go, "Geez, I don't know why that Kerry team wouldn't press on every single kickout." But like they didn't have a choice against against Derry. Their hand was forced. You know, with sixty one or two minutes gone in that game, they were dead. They were buried. They were gone. Derry had them exactly where they wanted them, and um, like you know, as I say, Kerry's hands were forced, and eventually they started winning a bit of ball. And once they got that initial momentum, they have the they have that man up front. They have they have Sean O'Shea who's 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 playing a, a role, but like. If you tell me, like, like I fancy uh, Kerry uh, at the weekend, but I only fancy them on the basis that all of that top six, uh, uh, the, the other four players, including Paddy Clifford, if they improve, you know, 50% on the last day, and believe me, there's that much room for improvement, haven't watched the game back. The other players in that uh, Kerry forward lane, I have to be going to Jack O'Connor and begging them for one more chance because if that's the level of performance that we've seen from them the last day that like that was completely totally and utterly unacceptable and you know 
I'll give you two reasons why it was unacceptable. First of all, zero contribution on the scoreboard. But secondly, they didn't even work that hard. They didn't even make life difficult for, for, for Derry in the areas that you want to make life difficult for them. So I think in, the, I think in that regard, you know, there's... Like, I, I want to see an open, you know, we all want to see, you know, the two teams going at it. And I think by virtue of who these guys are, by virtue of the, the place that it's being played, the atmosphere, the conditions, everything else, that, yeah, it will be structured. It'll be structured for a while, but eventually you just you just you just look at these two teams and say they're going to slug it out and, and and again with a bit of structure but still that has to be the way that this game goes yeah okay, I just want and I, I agree I think that um the, 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 there'll be a little bit of shadow boxing at the start and then it'll just naturally get there but on the long kick out for Kerry this is where it's going to be really interesting because if they do, last year if you look back to the to the to the semi final uh, one of the biggest vulnerabilities with Dublin <clears throat> is when they lose a long kick out. It's the risk reward of that press that they're deploying, which teases teams in. It becomes nearly that's on, you know, and they're very good at teasing them into to, to the long kick out. Kerry last year, they just went for it. And if you look back to the goal that they got, they just kicked it long to the wing, and it wasn't even that like good a ball in but they were just willing to win it long and then kick it into the full forward line trying to get Clifford and O'Shea in there O'Shea drifted in you might recall into the full forward and he, he, he got on to the end of it I think they're going to try and do the same they might not do it every kick out but they, ha- they will target that and the difficulty with targeting it this year is Dublin are so strong across that bank of four because they've got Howard who's, 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 who's playing that role there obviously Jamesy and Fento and maybe Kerry don't have that strength across the whole line you know so that's going to be really interesting for me how that plays out because it is such a risk reward for them you lose it then and you're going to build that momentum like that was what probably got Dublin over the line against Monaghan they just cracked Began eventually after around 55 minutes or something like that so I think that's going to be a critical part of it um, of how the game plays out the other thing on last year's game and I couldn't stop thinking about this this week there, there were, like the heart for me would say, oh, the comeback has been so exceptionally, it's timed, Cluxon's there, it's just the perfect, it's all teed up, it can't go wrong. They go wrong a lot of the time, these types of comebacks, right? And it's usually right at the end because you are now at the apex. And if you think back, if I bring back to my time when we never could beat Tyrone or we never could beat Kerry, and the lads will have the same teams that they just couldn't get over the hump of, right? We bet Tyrone in 2010. We then went and bet them again in 2011. It's a big step to beat the team that you're going after, the benchmark team. We did the same with Kerry, and then it was very hard for them to come back on that. Kerry have beaten these boys. You know, that psychology of this, and like when we get down to it, the skills are going to be fairly tight on both teams. The tactics are going to be very similar on both teams. The psychology becomes so critical in these games, and they will now believe that they can get over the line. And I couldn't stop thinking about that, that they are going to have that in their locker all week long. But, but will Dublin have in their locker that we now have 
we now have Fatcon back, we now have Cluxon back, we now have our, our players McCaffrey back that we didn't have there last year. Will they have that? And they'll have also a belief that finals they they don't lose them. The Dublin tend to not not lose them. So I'm definitely with you on that one. It is a big one to get over. But Dublin, you would think, will have a have a kick there also too to know that we're a lot stronger than we were last year. Um, and yeah, I just, I just yeah, I just it's an, it's an interesting one. Well, that's going to definitely help with the bench strengths. You know, like I think Dublin's bench is stronger. Last year, Kerry's bench was stronger. You know, but this year, Dublin's bench, and that's going to be interesting to see how they line out. Will they start Kieran Kilkenny? Kieran Kilkenny. Well, will they? What do you think? Um, I'd like to see. I'd like them to keep him in reserve. Funny enough, and I just want I just want Scully to get one more go, and this could be just because I love the bloke, right? And he's just I feel he's got a good game in him, and I just want him to get that chance just to give forty minutes and just show how good he is, and I think he can do it. Um, and that's personally, I, but I think it's the right call too because of how important, to, and they could bring him in at half time, but how important to bring in key players is when Bugler was out last week Dublin lost that bit of bench strength because you take one off it like but bringing four or three or four good players on it makes a big big difference and do you look at the Kerry bench what have they got Stephen O'Brien uh, Spillane I think is back as well um, Killian's back isn't he so that's really it from an impact they've lost Brosnan yeah they've lost Brosnan in the last couple of days as well which is you know obviously like a huge loss when as you said guys who have previously made an impact this year are pretty thin but the hard thing for Desi is going to be that Kieran Kilkenny ran a muck last year and Kieran Kilkenny and Tyg Morley have history and that can be really important because Morley has typically picked up Kilkenny and um Exactly what Murph was saying. If if if, if Kilkenny picks him up, Kilkenny just go full forward and bring Morley in there, and then Jason Foley's going to be you know figuring out where he goes. And that's the strength of Dublin attack um, that they've got around four of the of the six forwards can play inside. You know, maybe even you know to make, like you know we've got Mannion on the wing or Paddy Small, whoever the makeup is, they can all switch around, which can try to create that bit of chaos in the in the carry defence. But um, but I think that's going to be interesting to see. You know, will Kilkenny start? It's going to be hard to not start him, but I just prefer to keep him in reserve. O'Shane? Uh, I, I think it's going to be very difficult. If, if, if Dublin don't start Kieran Kilkenny, you know, that's a, that's a massive statement. And the reason for that is that I think just think that he's, he's, he's imparted that much pressure on that management team over the last couple of games, especially the last day, to say, listen, you know, like he's having a laugh here. He's he's got to start me. Like, yeah, like, um, I almost don't overthink this, lads. I've been one of the best footballers for the last number of years, and, and I, I'm, yeah, I'm fit, I, fit and available and playing well. But you know, do you know uh, on one one of the other interesting things about about the Kilkenny situation is uh, all I've heard from from people around the country is, uh, in fairness, to Pat Gilroy, once he come in, he sorted that Kilkenny situation out and all that, like. Desi Farrell gets gets very little credit for the fact that you know he's put what he's put together now is a team that like I know why I said a fancy carry but like if you look at the stats you look at possession stats you look at uh, scores conceded scores got there's about a percentage point between these two teams in every area that you can think that you want to analyze so like there's really is nothing it's just gonna be it's like it's like last week uh, the Harlan 
uh, Casey just you know five points from play and really you know being the difference between those two teams so somebody will have to step up but I genuinely can't think how that management team can sit down and not start Kieran Kilkenny and I agree I also agree that it probably will be the, the right thing to do will be to you know to leave him on the bench if you have if you have um, the forthright thinking and you can think ahead and think, you know, you know, can we afford to do this? And uh, it's worked. He's worked coming off the bench. You know, he's played well coming off the bench. He's made an impact coming off the bench. But I'd still start, <laughs> personally. Because cause I, it just, uh, on the last day, I just think, how, how could you hold a man back? Hey, Oshin, Oshin, you make, sorry, Murphy, you make a good point there. I was going to ask you a question, right? Um Every All Ireland final, especially when like you're, we talk about the key players, there's always someone who steps up. You know, it was Casey last week for Limerick. Who do you? Who can you see? Anyone? Who can we see stepping up that just gets the, the, the gets the gong for man of the match for just putting in the shift of the year? Well, honestly, right? Uh, there's two. There's two ones that spring to mind from a from a Dublin point of view. One of them is Howard, because like. I actually think he'll end up playing maybe two roles at the weekend because I think that he will be the man who will get back in more than anybody else and try and cut down that space for uh, that Clifford loves. Um, and the other one for me is if Dublin can see it through and and find a way to play Colin Basquale, even though he was really poor the last day, I still think he could start and I still think he could be the one to do damage. And the reason for that is exactly what you said. You look at the matchups, who's going to be left with him? Crowley, probably. And if he's close to goal, he could be in trouble. So maybe somebody like those. And on the other end of the field... I'm thinking that young boy that's, that's playing with them now, you boy Clifford. He's a good player, that lad. He's got a gr- Yeah, yeah. No. Really good left foot. Potty or David? David. I know that's a wee bit, I know I'm going a wee bit left field, but um, I'm thinking he could have a big say. Thinking, thinking outside the box. Yeah, but I mean, it, it is odd that's that you say, That's the kind of stuff you know, the audiences uh, on BBC Two are going to be treated to this weekend. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Uh, the... Uh, it's interesting you say that though, Paul, because last year it wasn't, you know, like it, 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 we were, everyone was talking about, you know, David Clifford, Shane Walsh, Damien Comer. In the end, it turned out to be Walsh and Clifford. It was the overdogs that actually stepped up and, and put on a show for us. Um, but, you know, we might as well talk about it, Michael, because it's not, a, it's not just that I love watching him play. I actually just love talking to people about David Clifford. I mean, you know, watching, I watched that game back on, uh, on Monday night this week, the Derry game. It's ridiculous. It's honestly ridiculous what he did in that game. And, you know, Chrissy McCaig might have been carrying a, a bit of a knock. You know, there's word that maybe his Achilles was, has been at him the last couple of months. But, like, that's a joke, what he did in that All-Ireland semi-final. And, he did it last year in the Iron Final, and he did it against Mick Fitzsimons last year, and he's going to do it on Sunday. I mean, it's you know, it's just. I mean, I don't know that it's a guarantee, but fuck it, like it's pretty much a guarantee. Uh, uh, you've, you're listening. I don't think I can add much more to, more to that, and, and just in terms of the like, I mean, we watched it with Shell Fashion and, and and Mickey Harper watching it, and he was he was tapping along nicely against Derry, but like to to see where he finished, there was a couple of scores. There was the one into the into the hill. Where he picked the ball underneath the. Canal, he faced Chrissy McKay Gupter 
turned on his left and, and scorched it over the bar. It was just it was, it was an incredible score. Michael, can I talk about that point just for a second, right? Because you know, oftentimes he he, he kind of manoeuvres into positions and he beats the guy and then he and then he kicks the point. For that point, Chrissy McKig was exactly where he wanted to be. And he still kicked the point. So, I mean, it was like he threw it like kind of a yard like off his body and was still able to kick accurately 35 yards on the angle from goal. I mean, it's it's like it's not just that he, he can do things better than other things. He's doing new things. And I think that's the big point. That like McKig had him and then he didn't. Yeah, have he didn't. And he, he wrecked it over from 35 metres out. Like it was, it was a huge kick. There were so many things you break that one down. Like, I mean, it was his first touch, you know, to get ahead of McKig because he isn't easy to get ahead of. Um, to, to slide in the ground and to come back up facing him was even better again and, and to go on in that left and to, to blaze it over was 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 just brilliant but listen he's he's incredible when have we ever spoke about in the game I can't think of it where where we're speaking about you know damage limitation like I mean where do, where have we ever in, in Gaelic football circles maybe in hurling circles we, we, we take it that you know players are going to score such and such but that's incredible the only the best piece that, that I can say for him and we've all played it through 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 the whole 12 months what is he now 24 25 years of age he has played for his club and junior championships he has played for his college uh in, in ul and you know we're, we're tuning in to all those games for david clifford and he's producing each and every day has there been a day where we've come away and say oh very very quiet there on that day or he didn't do something magic or spectacular there just hasn't been and and to me that's the that's the real proper sign and i think with him, the thing that i love about him all the skills i love about him but he is a he's a competitive animal he is a competitive it's what not maybe one of the first things that comes to your mind when you think of david clifford we played them very quickly. We played them in a friendly. I remember back in two thousand and nineteen twenty. I can't can't remember. And it was one of his first year, first years. He was in. Uh, it was behind this Friday night down in Bridgets and Roscommon. Uh, we were down in a training camp in Johnstown. Friday night game, two teams, three or four weeks before a championship. His first year in. Um, and anyway game was helter-skelter up and down the pitch you know defensive it was tackles everything was going left right and center anyway Neil McGee was started a bit of a ruckus towards um there wouldn't be like him started a bit of a ruckus next thing I'm on we're all in anyway but it was uh Enright got a bit of the brunt of it from us and I always remember Clifford left his own full forward line to come the whole way down Friday night. There was no crowd watching. And I just thought to myself, yeah, he's got that bit too. You know, he's probably kicked 2-6, two, 2-7 two, two, in that game. But he's got that steeliness to try and win that game on the Friday night down there. Uh, to oh, sort, stop, to stop, sort. stop, stop. Forget about the game for a second. What happened in the melee? Right? Like, when you say there was a coming together, right? let's get into this part. This is, this is, this is what we want to know. There was, uh, yeah, listen, the usual couple of weeks before a championship game, there was everything. There were slaps thrown. There was, there was everything going on. So he decided he wanted to come. He could have very easily stayed up in that full forward lane, allowed Shane Enright to get his touch from, from, from whatever we were trying to do. And, but no, nah, 
not on him wanted to get down the field wanted to try and get something started out and that always stuck with me on him and he's just a competitive animal so anyway that's my part on him he's a freak he's a freak of nature I don't think we'll ever see anything like uh, him that's a great story I hadn't heard that side of him to be honest Paul it's not too late for the CCCC to get involved here maybe a retrospective fan <laughs> could see him put out of action for Sunday you know it sounds pretty pretty bad I think the line in the, in the rule book is contributing to Malay and it's pretty clear he's contributing <laughs> to Malay here so I will be forwarding this recording on to the CCCC don't you worry thank you more if you ever have the good fortune to spend time in the beautiful city of Bilbao and you find yourself wandering up around the San Mamez Stadium, home of Athletic Club, better known to you and I as Athletic Bilbao, you might think to yourself, you know, I'm going to pop in here, have a stroll around the club's museum, try to get a better understanding of this institution and through it, a better understanding of Basque culture and yeah. the way of life in the region. Sounds like the sort of thing I do on. It's a large thought bubble going on there. Yeah. As you're mooching around the museum, taking all this history and you'll get to a section that will stop you in your tracks. Is that a picture of an Irish football team? That looks a lot like a 17-year-old Ronnie O'Sullivan in his home farm days. Ronnie Whelan? Ronnie O'Sullivan, I said, did I? (laughs) Ronnie Whelan is in front of me here and also is the man I meant to reference. Wow. You'd be even more stopping your tracks if I would now to be fair. If I had heard that Ronnie O'Sullivan was playing for home farm in 1978, (laughs) honestly, I'm not easily shocked though, but that would have shocked me. From there, you'll read about a football match that took place in 1979 between a Basque country selection and a travelling group of League of Ireland footballers played out in a fever political atmosphere. Man, I love fevered political atmospheres. You're all about that, except our members didn't even have to go as far as Bilbao to no. hear all about this story, because we told it today on the Second Captain's Podcast through the uh, bit of a revelation. This guy, Basque journalist Benyat Gutierrez, came on the pod to tell us why this fixture back in 1979 maintains a special place in Basque history. Well, um, the main thing is that it was the official comeback of the Basque national team after 40 years. And not just uh, normal 40 years, but 40 years of being under a dictatorship that was suppressing the Basque identity. So it was a huge game. Um, it was the first game uh, played for the Basque national team um, just after the, the death of Franco in 1975. And it was very meaningful in so many ways. We can then go... Uh, just topic by topic but just think about this uh, 40 years of dictatorship uh, we are talking about 1979 uh, Franco died, died in 1975 and he's still dead as Chevy Chase will say and then in 78 you get the Spanish constitution you get the first Spanish election just a couple of months before this game or a little bit more it was in March the game was in August so it was a lot of hope around and a lot of football fans that were hoping that this was a new era for Basque identity, for Basque nation, and also it was the first step to see the Basque national team competing like any other nation in a World Cup or in a European Cup. Unfortunately, those promises never fulfilled, but the fight is still on. When you say that the Basque identity had been repressed, what did that mean in practice? Um, basically, a huge repression of the Basque language, which is the core of Basque identity. Uh, when you say Basque in Basque, you say Euskaldun, which means the one that has the Basque language. Uh, even from that conception, it's such a was such a big thing. Also, 
other representations of the Basque identity, like the the Basque flag, were banned. The Basque anthem was banned. And even if during those years there were, and if you go to, um, to you know, uh, to look at the history of uh, our football, you'll see that there were some games with uh, some things uh, called Euskadi uh, or the Basque team, more better said. It was more in a regional manner. It was just tribute games to players that were retiring. It was more like a Basque eleven than the Basque national team. And this was the first game that was representing that identity and that was following um, the path of the team that played during the Spanish Civil War all over the world to present the Basque nation to the world and to, uh, for uh, in... Um, one of the goals was to uh, get funds uh, for the war effort, and also it was an exercise of public diplomacy to let the world know what was going on in Spain, what was going on in the Basque country, and who the Basque people were. When, when, when Franco died, you said it was 1975. The strange thing, I suppose, from looking at it from outside and not, not understanding much about it, is that this was... You would have thought that the death of the dictator and the transition to democracy were would lead to a kind of lifting of repression and a general easing of the situation. But that's the opposite of what happened in the Basque country. Instead, there was this, this like, um, you know, huge uh, increase in violence, which are known as the years of lead. Why did that happen at that point? First of all, maybe I guess we need to understand that the Spanish transition is a very particular transition. We're not talking about other moments where a dictator has been replaced because it's been, uh, you know, taken down. We're talking about someone who died in, in bed. Therefore, the day after... You know, the people surrounding the dictator were still the people uh, in charge of the country, in ruling the country. And, and that's why the transition in Spain is so particular, because they use the legislation from the dictatorship to slowly and progressively um, walk towards a democracy. And, um, and improve the situation. What happens in between? Well, what happens in between is that you have many tensions. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of people that was relieved that Franco died. But I also heard people that was absolutely anti-Franco. They, they were incredibly concerned because they were they didn't know what was coming after that. So even if the billion of their lives had passed, they didn't know if it was actually going to replace for something worse. So those years uh, were years of a lot of uncertainty, were years of hope, but also fear. And they were years where those people actually working to create a proper democracy in Spain and the Basque country, but at the same time was resistance from the far right um, to just prevent that from happening, to keep alive the, the dictatorship after the dictator. Um, just to, to think about, like in 77, there was the huge killings in Natoz in Madrid um, per, uh, by the far right, by far right groups. It also, between those tensions, the violence also gets worse in the vast country uh, with ETA. Um, think about this, between uh, 1978 and 1980, ETA killed 244 people. We are talking about huge numbers. So the tension in the street was huge. And yeah, there was hope, but there was also a lot of uncertainty about how this was going to end. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. People are tweeting me stuff like, oh my God. He's a World Cup winner. Look how many World Cups have you won? Oh my God. I'm like, David Silva, World Cup winner. I was at that World Cup. I don't remember seeing much of David Silva. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, let's look up David Silva's World Cup record. Hmm, David Silva, hmm. Played like the first hour against Switzerland. Hmm, what did he do in this game? Hmm, didn't get on. What about the next game? Didn't get on. What about the second round? Didn't get on. What about the quarterfinal? Didn't get on. What about the semifinal? Oh, he didn't get on. What about the final? Can you believe it? He didn't get on. Get on. Now we're sitting on the sidelines, sitting on, sitting on your arse in the sidelines, watching a team win the World Cup, makes you a World Cup winner, then you're speaking to a five-time World Cup winner. So put some respect, put some respect on my name. I've won five World Cups by David Silva's standards. Five. Too hot for TV, for cheesy, too many want to be Harvey Easy. It's all in the cover going on, not together, it don't take much. They are the problem. Humanity is the actual problem. If it wasn't for these insanely selfish, obscenely stupid <laughs> creatures. This planet would actually be in balance. Put your respect on my name! Like I said, Benyard, revelation, I think we will we'll be hearing from him hear more from, from Benyard, yeah, in future episodes. But we didn't get a chance to talk to him about David Silva's retirement that came just after, probably about an hour actually after we... Mm. Hung up the Zoom call. Do you hang up a Zoom call? You leave. You leave. Zoom. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You end yeah. conversation, whatever yeah. you do. That was covered extensively by you, me, and Ken. Mm. Ken talked a lot about David Silva, mostly <laughs> I wasn't slagging saying him off. But he, he, in doing so, and in, once again, taking down this sacred cow, mm. he just gave a lot of compliments to him at the same time. Yeah. Almost in spite of himself, he talked about how great David Silva was. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel that Ken has no further thought, unexpressed thoughts about David Silva after <laughs> what he came out with today. I, I mean, at various stages, I did want to interject to say that I didn't know that the statue for David Silva was actually just of him taking a corner ahead of very important Man City goals. I tried about four times to say it and then he just kept going. Yeah, no, he just kept going. Yeah. So in the end I was like we should wrap this up. Yeah. Otherwise we'll be here all day. Fiverr a month plus VAT to hear all of this good stuff in full. Sign up now on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAS Creator Network. Uh, it is. I know that. It is. I'm, I usually have it. to chase you to mention that on, but fair balls to you there now. You came out with it without <laughs> any... Fir- yeah, fair balls to you. I've heard that phrase for a while. Yeah, I know. Sorry. That's probably you... It's a classless end to this promo. We'll also hear all of Very disappointed in myself. Without any ads, if you become a member. Thanks so much for listening today. Have a lovely weekend. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.
the second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.